it's a tough thing, isn't it? This this being sorry business and this you know practicing forgiveness stuff. I mean, it's it's tough, and yet it is so vital to us as we try to walk the Christian walk and try to you know honor Christ and be kingdom people. And uh, you know, this summer we've been looking at, at stories Jesus told that are uh, just really relevant stories for how we live every single day. And today it's no different because we're going to look at a story where, where Jesus is making it very clear how important it is for us to get this understanding and the principles are what, around what it means to really be, you know, sorry, to receive the forgiveness that he has for us and at the same time to be forgiving people, okay? It comes to us out of Matthew uh, 18. So if you brought your Bibles with you and you want to get to Matthew 18, now's the time. Otherwise, you just grab the, the message notes that's in the handout and just follow along there too. But it comes out of uh, Matthew 18. And if you uh, look at Matthew 18, you go to the beginning of the story in the 23rd verse. The story that Jesus tells uh, starts out just saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, there's a difference here as he starts the story. Uh, so often when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, we think about something that's yet to be, right? Something that's waiting for us, something that's out there far off when he comes, when he returns, we'll all experience the kingdom of heaven. But in this story, in the story, he's talking about, look, this is how you can experience the kingdom of heaven now. The kingdom of heaven now is like, it, it's like he's saying, look, if you're a kingdom person, right? If you if you've given your life to Christ, you say, "Listen, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm a sold out Christ follower, and and uh, I want to do what He wants me to do, live the way He wants me to live." Then Jesus is saying, "Look, this is how you do it, because this is what kingdom people do. This is how the kingdom of heaven actually takes place, and what it looks like in the practice of our lives, in our everyday Monday through Saturday, Sunday to." This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like when it gets loose uh, in our lives. Now, the context of the story is that Peter has come to Jesus and he's asked him a pretty straightforward question. And he says, uh, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, it's kind of interesting that Peter is the one asking the question about how many times forgiveness should be practiced, right? Because, I mean, he was kind of the disciple that was kind of always in need of this thing called forgiveness. But nevertheless, he comes and he asks Jesus the question, look, how many times? What, what's the top limit? How, how many times do I have to do this? And he suggests a solution. Peter says, listen, if I practice seven times, is that okay? which really in his day was pretty phenomenal because the rabbis in, in that time, the rabbis said, listen, you have to forgive somebody three times. Three times. So Peter's coming along and saying, how about seven? I mean, I, you can imagine, right, that Peter is suggesting this and just kind of waiting for Jesus to respond and say, whoa, Peter, oh, wow, that is a lot of forgiveness, man. And you really are lavishing forgiveness here. I mean, seven times, that's like double three times plus a tip, right? I mean, that's, wow, Peter, awesome that you're thinking that way, right? I mean, that's kind of, don't you, I mean, it's kind of where you think Peter's at, right? But when it comes to the practice, when it comes to being kingdom people, when it comes to letting the kingdom of heaven actually exist, in the middle of your life, in the middle of your day, Jesus gives you this answer. 
I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What's he saying? Some translations will say 70 times 7. What's he saying? Well, basically he's saying, look at, look at it. If you're a kingdom person, if you're going to have the kingdom of heaven working in your life right now, then you're going to be a person that practices unlimited forgiveness. And you're going to have an attitude of unlimited forgiveness. That is, you're going to look for the opportunity to practice forgiveness. That not only will you not put an upper limit on it and say, well, look, I've, I've done it seven times, but you, you're, going to, you're going to keep lavishing forgiveness in the lives of other people, but you're actually going to live with an attitude that looks for the opportunity of forgiveness. Now, we know that, for instance, when folks come to, to church and, uh, you know, they walk in our front doors and they've been far away from Christ for a long time uh, and, you know, living a life that's contrary to his desire. I mean, we know those folks come in the door and you know what they expect to hear from us? They expect us to sit them down and tell them how horrible they are and how terrible they have been. The astounding thing is when they come in the door and they come especially to this worship service and we say right away, up front, forgiveness is right here for you. Regardless of where you've been and what you've done, forgiveness is right here for you. You see, that's what he's talking about. That's the attitude he's talking about. He's talking about displaying a consistent attitude that actually seeks and looks for the opportunity to share forgiveness into somebody else's life. And that there is absolutely no limit on that forgiveness. Now, if you go in the story, or I'm sorry, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which is ironically often a, a text that's read at weddings, right? Which probably tells you that you better figure out how to practice forgiveness if you're getting married, right? Um, he says, in, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, love is patient, love is kind. It's, it's not does not want what belongs to others. It does not brag. It is not proud. It's not rude. It does not look out for its own interest. It does not easily become angry. And I highlighted and underlined for you there. You want to say this last one with me? You ready? It does not keep track of other people's wrongs. What doesn't it do? It doesn't keep track, right? It doesn't keep track. What was Peter doing? He's keeping track. Well, let's see. That's four. That's five. That's six. I've got one more to go. One more to go. You got one more. You're right on the edge, man. You got one more. I mean, he's keeping track. And then Jesus comes along and says, No, 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 Peter. Seventy-seven times. Can you imagine in Peter's life? He's going, Let's see now. Let's see. Was that was that fifty-six or fifty-seven? I can't I can't keep I mean Jesus is saying, Look, you don't keep track. That's not the way kingdom people live. Kingdom people live with an attitude of lavish forgiveness. We have no limit, and we always seek the opportunity to be able to practice forgiveness in other people's lives. Now, if we're going to do that on a day-to-day -day basis and be kingdom people on a day-to-day -day basis, we need to blow up this morning some of the myths out there around this forgiveness thing and how it works, okay? So, like, I just identified three of them that I could come up with. I'm sure there's others, but I was thinking about it, and uh, so I came up with, with these three. Number one is the myth that goes something like, I will forgive, but I will not forget. Heard this before? Boy, I'll forgive them, but boy, I'm not going to forget it. That's not kingdom thinking, right? That's, that's keep track thinking, isn't it? 
I mean, I mean, imagine God. Imagine if God looked at you and said, well, listen, I, I'm well aware of everything that you've done, and I'm willing to forgive it, but, you know, I'm not going to forget it. Oh, and by the way, the next time you come to me and you ask for forgiveness, I'm going to bring up all this old stuff over here that you wanted forgiveness before. Say, I'm, just, I'm not going to forget that. I'm going to bring that back up. Does, does this happen in relationships? I mean, imagine if God operated that way. I mean, he doesn't operate that way. He says that when we seriously come to him with sorrow in our hearts and we seek forgiveness, he lavishly gives us forgiveness and he forgets. He says, you are a new creation. That's forgetting. That's forgetting. You see, there's the challenge. If you're going to be a kingdom person, you've got to blow this one up and say, wait a minute, that's... remembering is not forgiveness. It's no fair when you're having a dialogue with your spouse and you start bringing up old stuff that you've already forgiven them for. No, 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 that's forgiven, that's forgotten. You've got to work to forget that if you're going to lavish forgiveness, you've got to be a person who's ready to work to forget. Second one. Some folks out there will say, well, I have the right to be mad and stay that way. Usually it's something like, well, I just have the right to be mad and I'm just going to stay that way. Is that the way it comes out? Right, just going to stay that way. What? I mean, that's not kingdom thinking. Uh, Imagine again if God treated you that way. If God just said, listen, I have the right to nail you up on that cross and I'm just just going to... Stay mad at you even though my son died for you, but I'm just going to stay mad at you because you deserve to stay up there. He doesn't practice that. That's not the way he looks at us. right? He looks at us through Jesus on that cross, and he's willing to forget, and he is absolutely forgiving to the point that he loves us. Not that he's mad at us. And that's kingdom thinking. right? That's kingdom attitude. It says, listen, I'm not going to keep track, and I'm not going to keep... Revenge as my motive. I'm not going to stay mad. Third one is, things will never be the same. Heard that one? Yep, okay, I may forgive you, but I'm telling you, things will never be the same between us. Really? I mean, that's only true if you allow that to be the case. Things will never be the same. Well, that's only if you keep doing number one and number two. If you stay mad at them and you keep remembering all the old stuff, then I guess things will never be the same. But if you practice kingdom thinking and you practice kingdom forgiveness, then things will definitely be different. Just like they're different every single time we come to the table and Jesus says to us, listen, I died for you and you're absolutely forgiven. You see, what we're talking about today... What we're supposed to practice is exactly what Jesus practiced with each one of us. So you've got to let go of all these misconceptions. Instead, understand what Paul's trying to get through in this, in Ephesians 5, about how we're supposed to receive and, and practice forgiveness. He says, do as God does. After all, you are his dear children. Let love be your guide. Christ loved us and offered his life for us as a sacrifice that pleases God. You are God's people. So don't let it be said that any of you are immoral or indecent or greedy. Don't use dirty or foolish or filthy words. Instead, say how thankful you are. Being greedy, indecent, or immoral is just another way of worshiping idols. You can be sure that people who behave in this way will never be part of what? 
the kingdom. You can't live a kingdom life. You can't live a kingdom life if you hold on to all those misconceptions. You can't live a kingdom life if you hold on to and don't receive today everything that God wants to bring in your life through this simple story that Jesus tells about receiving forgiveness and practicing forgiveness. How do we know it's true? Well, the reality for us is in the story, Jesus makes it clear to us that all of us owe, that we all owe, that none of us deserve the forgiveness that we receive. And yet the king willingly gives it. If you look into the story, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to collect all the money his servants owed him. How many servants owed him? All of them. In the story, right? All of them owed him. I mean, there, there, there wasn't a servant there that didn't owe him, right? Everybody owed him. I mean, and the reality is that's true for us too, right? There isn't any of us in this room who can somehow be perfect people. We all fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. We, we just don't measure up. We can't do it on ourselves, by ourselves. We can't do it by our own power. We all owe him, and we all rely on the grace of the Master. You see, the, part of the point of the story is not just practicing forgiveness, but it's receiving forgiveness. That we've got to be ready to really understand what it means to receive forgiveness. That's not just words. That it's this, this overwhelming, incredible action of God just because he loves us. It, it comes out in the story this way. It says, as the king began to do it, a man who owed him millions of dollars. How much? Millions of dollars. Thank you so much. Somebody heard me before. Millions. Of, I just kind of like that. Millions of dollars. I mean, the reality is he owed him a ton of dough, Right? Right? Other commentators, when they comment on this, they'll even use the word billions. I mean, the, the, the gist of the story is this guy owed so much, he could never pay it back. He, he could never pay it back. Right? He owed him millions of dollars. Well, he was brought to him. The man was not able to pay, so his master gave an order. The man, his wife, his children, all, who, uh, all he owned had to be sold to pay back what he owed. And the servant fell on his knees in front of him. Gave, Give me time, he begged. I'll pay everything back. Understandable so far? Now the amazing thing in the story. Look what the master says back, what the king says back. His master felt sorry for him. He forgave him what he owed and let him go. That's astounding. That is absolutely astounding. The king, the master, I mean, he doesn't do what's natural, right? I mean, what would be natural here if you're the master of the king? Oh, what would be understandable would be if you're the master of the king, you would say, now listen, you owe me a ton of money, but I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll set up an installment plan, right? Don't think you're ever going to get there. Don't think you'll ever pay me completely back. But listen, we're going to stand up and set up an installment plan. You can start paying it back, right? I mean, that would make sense. Wouldn't that make sense? But that's not what the king does. The king, out of his own choice, out of his own desire, out of his own compassion, out of his own love for the servant, completely cancels the debt. He takes the full hit of millions of dollars. He takes the full hit. It's off his ledger. I mean, it's obvious in the story that Jesus is, is trying to parallel that, obviously, with what he does for each one of us. 
We could never pay it back. We could never do enough. We could never be the kind of person God wants it to be without what Jesus Christ does for us, right? And we can never do it. And yet, Jesus Christ was willing to die for us. He was willing to do everything for us. And the debt is canceled. You see, the reality is, if you're going to be a kingdom person, if you're going to be a kingdom person, right now is an opportunity for you to understand what it means to be sorry and receive grace. You see, you may have come in the room this morning and you may be carrying some stuff that you're not ready to let go of. You may be carrying some stuff that you just want to be mad about. You may be carrying some stuff that you just want revenge for. You may be carrying some stuff that you've done that you're just in guilt about, that you still have shame about. And the reality is God is saying, listen, be a kingdom person. Be a kingdom person. And just let the master cancel the debt. Just let him forgive you. Just earnestly from your heart, just receive the incredible forgiveness that Jesus won for you on the cross. That's all there is to it. Just give your life completely to him and say, it's not about me, it's all about you. And he cancels the debt. And you're a new person. You're a new person. If you look at Paul in Romans 5, he tries to capture that. He says, at just the right time, Christ died for ungodly people. He died for us when we had no power on our own. It is unusual for anyone to die for a godly person. Maybe someone would be willing to die for a good person. But here is how God has shown his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be marvelous. We can be nothing. And God still loves us and forgives us. He has no limit on his grace. No limit on his forgiveness. And we just get to receive it. Now, the challenge for us is if you get that principle of receiving God's grace, right? Then the challenge for us is if you're going to be a kingdom person to receive God's grace, you've got to be a kingdom person to practice God's grace. And the trouble for us is that's not natural. It's not our natural inclination to practice unlimited un, uh, uh, forgiveness, right? It, it, we just want to put a limit on it. And it's not, it's not our natural. And we see that in the story. If you go back to the story, so this servant who's been forgiven this millions of dollars, right? That servant went out and found one of the other servants who owed him a few bucks. How much? But the first servant refused. Instead, he went and had the man thrown into prison. The man would be held there until he could pay back what he owed. You see the contrast, obviously, in the story. Obviously, the guy hasn't received and understood forgiveness. Because if you receive and understand forgiveness, then you're going to practice forgiveness. It's going to flow through you, right? It's going to go into the lives of other people. If you look and you compare the... the the text, the, what, people, what the guy said, please, 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 give me time, give me time. It's almost identical. And yet, the second servant isn't willing to forgive. Somehow, he can't understand the principle that if you receive forgiveness, you pass on forgiveness. There's no limit. If there's no limit on your receiving it, there's no limit on being able to pass it on. Paul says to the Colossian, God loves you and has chosen you as his own special people. So, be gentle, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely 
together, right? Why do we do that? Because we get how much God has forgiven us. And so we just practice it, right? We just put that into our marriages. We put that into our relationships and the rest of the family. We put that into our relationships at work. Notice it says, forgive anyone. No limitation. Unlimited. Forgive anyone. This guy doesn't do it. What happens? It says, the other servants saw what had happened. It troubled them greatly. They went and told their master everything that had happened. This is so funny in the story, really. This this servant gets forgiven this huge debt, right? He doesn't forgive this guy for a couple bucks, and somehow he thinks the master, the king, isn't going to find out about it. Or it's not going to make any difference. Isn't that like us? That, that somehow we think we can receive forgiveness for ourselves. That's all good. Makes us warm and comfortable and everything. But, but somehow we can't translate that into our other relationships. And we don't think there's not going to be a consequence. Absolutely there's a consequence. When unforgiveness gets root in our lives, there are consequences to unforgiveness. There are consequences. In the story, it goes like this. Then the master called the first servant in. You evil servant, he said. I forgave all that you owed me because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the other servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers. He would be punished until he paid back everything that he owed. See how serious it is? Here's the deal. You have to understand the principle. Jesus has no limit on his grace for us. And he demands of us that we practice the same practice and attitude. Why? Because he knows how important it is to our lives. If we don't do it, we suffer. If we don't put it into practice, we suffer. So it is with the servant. He didn't put it into practice, and he suffered. Paul says in Ephesians, get rid of all hard feelings, anger, and rage. Stop all fighting and lying. Put away every form of hatred. Be kind, tender to one another. Forgive each other just as God forgave you because of what Christ has done. Why do we need to get rid of all that stuff? Because if you keep that stuff inside of you, guess who it hurts? You. I mean, this is a great irony in the way we think in our broken mentality, right? We give somebody the silent treatment, or we, we keep our anger going at somebody, or we keep resentment going at somebody, and we think somehow having that is going to somehow punish them. The, the reality is they're out there just living their life just fine. You're the one stuck with the anger and the resentment and the revenge. It's eating you up, not them. And so Paul can say, or the Hebrews, writer of Hebrews can say, be sure that no one misses God's grace. See to it that a bitter plant does not grow up. If it does, it will cause trouble. It will pollute many people. Do you get the image? What happens if you put a limit on your forgiveness and you hold on to revenge and anger? It's like the plant. It's going to infiltrate your other relationships. It's going to damage your other relationships because you're not being a kingdom person. It's going to just seep out and it's going to damage your other relationships. You will pay the price for it. And your relationship with Christ will pay the price for it. There was a guy that had a mule. And another guy came along, just kind of stood the fence around and was watching the guy 
plow the field with a mule. And he noticed that every time the guy would want the mule to do something, he would just kind of whack the mule with the reins, you know, just kind of pull the reins or flop the reins on the mule. And he watched this for, you know, hours. And finally the guy came by the fence row and the guy had been watching. Finally said, he said, listen, I, you know, I want to tell you your business, but wouldn't you get a whole lot farther with that mule if you just kind of holler at him once in a while and say, you know, you know, giddy up or hee haw or hey, go that way or I mean, wouldn't you get a little up farther if you just kind of tell the mule what to do? And the farmer, you know, wiped his brow with a handkerchief and said, listen, this mule kicked me three years ago and I haven't talked to him since. Right? Who's paying the price for that? The mule? Mule's not paying the price for that. The guy is. That's the way it is. When you put a limit, when you don't follow and be a kingdom person, when you put a limit, you pay the price. Your relationship with Christ suffers. You put a roadblock with what God can do in your life because you're practicing unforgiveness. This is why Jesus ends the story so emphatically. Okay. Now this is the end statement of the story. And it's a real emphatic statement. I mean, it's an in-your-face kind of statement. This is how my Father in Heaven will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, there's no equivocation there, is there? I mean, there's no cutting cut slack on that one. We say, look, this is the way it is. If you don't understand the principles of being able to be sorry and receive forgiveness, unlimited grace that God has for you and then being able to translate that into your everyday and be a, be a kingdom person who practices lavish forgiveness and an attitude that looks for, for forgiveness if you don't get that he says listen you're going to suffer you're going to suffer your relationships are going to suffer and your relationship with Christ is going to suffer because God's design for us is to be his people and to live that lavish life of love for one another. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to be kingdom people, not just any people, but that we can be kingdom people. And as kingdom people, we can just practice that lavish love you have for us, that we can uh, just have an attitude that seeks to not only receive grace and receive forgiveness and is willing to be honest and empty, but an attitude also that looks for the opportunity to just uh, pour that same forgiveness into other people. So, Lord, we, we pray today. We are so sorry. We're really sorry for the times we've fallen short. And uh, we mean that from the heart, Lord. And we just, we ask now, forgive us. Make us a new creation. Forget everything that's gone before. Let this be a new moment in our lives that we can just walk out of here ready to take on the world and, and just be your people. And as we do that, Lord, we pray you'd give us the opportunity to speak to those that have been far away from us, to speak to those that we've hurt, to speak to those that we still carry that anger for. And, and Lord, just help us to find the words to be able to say, listen, you're forgiven. I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. And to make our relationships right. Because we don't want that ugliness to grow in our, our relationships and in our life. We don't want that ugliness to be a barrier. So, Father, we come to you today and we ask, give us forgiveness and help us to give it away. We pray in Jesus' name as he taught us to pray.